Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this Memorial Day weekend. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. As we start our time together here, I just uh, was reminded of a story. Now, this story took place over 100 years ago. A young girl named Hazel. Hazel was one of 10 children, and she grew up along the banks of the Ohio River and the Big Sandy. And as she grew older, she experienced a lot of hardship. She had a lot to overcome. In 1918, seven of her brothers and sisters died in the Spanish flu pandemic. That was very difficult for her. Not only was she dealing with that, but her husband was off at World War I. He was injured. There was a lot of uncertainty, but he pulled through. He received a Purple Heart, and they pressed on with their family. They had three sons and a daughter, and those three men answered the call to go to war. And those three men were in war in 1945 when Hazel lost her husband. Now she was now gonna be a single mom, but one thing you ought to know about Hazel as she grew older, she trusted God in the middle of all of that. She loved the Lord. She taught Sunday school at Wayne Avenue Baptist Church up in Happy Holler. And she was a faithful woman of God and her whole life, she was faithful in prayer and in the word. She loved the Lord. And so in 1965, on Easter Sunday morning, Hazel Riggs went to be with Jesus. Wow, can you imagine this faithful woman meeting Jesus on Resurrection Sunday? Hazel Riggs is my mom's mom. Hazel Riggs gave birth to Katie Lou Riggs, who is my mom. And today I'm so thankful for her. There are many people who have blessed me and touched me and encouraged me and who have lifted me up. And if I thought about all of those people, I sometimes wonder and trace, how in the world is it that I ended up as a pastor in ministry? And if I really thought about it, I think it's because I had a praying grandmother. So in this Memorial Day weekend, we remember the people that have gone before. I know for many of you, you have that same thought this weekend. We wanna be thankful for the freedom that we have and the freedom we have in Jesus because of the ones who've come before. Would you pray with me right now? Father, I just thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy today. Lord, thank you for how you've blessed us with the freedom. And Lord, today we wanna be a grateful people. Thank you, Lord, for uh, giving us not only the freedom we have in Christ and Lord, the beauty of eternal life with a holy God. But Lord, we also consider today and we wanna be grateful, Lord, for the men and women who've come before us who have fought for our freedom and sacrificed everything in many cases. 
for our freedom. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, today, we pray that you would be with our time together. Help us, Lord, to fix our attention on you, our eternal hope. And Lord, help us and just teach us your ways in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning, church. As we come together this Memorial Day weekend, I've been thinking about what exactly that means. Uh, I've been looking into the idea of Memorial Day, and obviously in our minds we know that this is a time that has been set aside that we can celebrate and we can remember those who have lost their lives on our behalf for our freedoms and the safeties that we have here in our country. But I have to be honest, sometimes for me and my family, it just becomes a picnic with American flag paper plates. And we don't always take the time to think through and to really truly remember those who have given their lives for us. And I was reminded of that as I was reading 1 Peter, or actually 2 Peter, this week. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is writing to the church, and he goes into this um, description of who Jesus is. And in verse 12, he says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory so long as I live in the tent of this body. Peter knew the importance of remembering, and I even dug a little deeper and looked into the Greek word that's refresh your memory. And it's this picture of stirring something up in us, in arousing something. It's it's this idea of not just walking by and saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you did, but it's it's taking the time to stir something up in us. Um, And I love that Peter says, even though you already know these things, you've been firmly established in these things. I think the same is true for many of us. We've walked with the Lord and we, we know what he's done on our behalf. And Peter says, as long as I am alive, I want the church to take time. Take time to arouse something in yourself, to stir something up in yourself because of what Jesus did on our behalf. And so as we take communion today, that's what I want us to remember. You may need to pause the video. Um, You may be celebrating and remembering by yourself. You may be together with your family, but let's not walk by this. Let's take the time to remember. Uh, It looks different when we are celebrating communion in this way. Um, We kind of have to just gather what we have. But whatever you have that's going to arouse within you, to stir within you. I actually this this morning just grabbed um, this hamburger bun uh, left over from my lunch yesterday and sweet tea. Um, Because this is a symbol of what we do, it's more about taking the time and saying, Jesus, you were the bread of life. You are my sustenance. You are everything to me. And even before he died, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the cup symbolizes his blood. This is the part where we remember the sacrifice that he made. It's hard for me to not take the cup and think of him brutally beaten and scourged and nailed to a cross for my well-being, for my reconciliation to the Father. So this morning, as we remember those things that we are firmly established in, let's do it in remembrance 
of him. Father, no matter what our symbols are, no matter what this looks like, well, whether we're celebrating alone or we are with our families, send your spirit to arouse something in us, to stir something up in us as we remember what you did. who you are, the work that you did on our behalf. Help us to not walk by because this is a ritual that we do once a month, once every other month, Lord, but help us to sit in this, to be reminded of who you are and what you did on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And as we take this time uh, in our service, we usually um, come together and talk about the importance of giving. And this church has been so faithful over the last several weeks in this unusual format um, to continue that discipline of giving. And so we want to encourage you in that today. And I just want to encourage you personally, we're, we're kicking off a new ministry when we come back next week, um, this live production ministry. And that's because... You've been so faithful um, in what God has called us to, and you believe in the mission that he has. Um, And so I just want to thank you for that and just ask that we continue in that. And I just want to take some time again, not only to pray over our giving and that God's work would be done in our midst, um, but pray for those who are in need this morning. I know uh, Judy Kissinger and her, she's passed away this week and her family in that grieving process. And so many have been grieving in this time and it's different. Being in the hospital is different. Um, It's a time where we can't all be together and celebrate. So let's lift one another in prayer this morning. Father, you are so good to us. You are faithful to us. And so Lord, our act of love to you and to your mission is to give back just a portion of what you've given to us. And so as we do that this morning, Lord, we ask that you bless it and that you multiply it uh, for your glory and for your sake. But Lord, we lift up those in our body. I think of the Kissinger family and in their mourning. Um, Those who um, are having to mourn without as many people around them. Those who have to heal in the hospitals with um, strangers. I thank you for the nurses and the doctors that are doing all that they can to make that healing process um, easier. But Lord, ultimately it is your great physician's hand that brings comfort and peace and healing. And so we thank you for that. We lift them up to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we're in Esther. Now, I know some of you might be like, now, what are we going to get from Esther? We're doing this one sermon, each book, and we've come to the book of Esther. And you might be thinking, 
what, how is this going to apply to my life? Well, the book of Esther shows us how God works quietly through cause and effect to achieve his purposes in history and in our lives. So there's a lot we can learn from Esther. You know, George Truett once said, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement. And so for us, we, as the people of God, as we look at this timeless book, the Bible, we want to, to look today to find our way. And I want us to look, I want to share with you today some transferable principles that we find in the book of Esther in her life that help us to discover God's will. And so the first principle that we discover is is, is very basic, and it even, <laughs> even has the word ordinary in it. But the, the first principle we discover is God's will is often discovered as a result of ordinary events of life. So often. We pick up the story, turn to Esther 2, verse 17, which tells of an ancient beauty pageant. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any other of the women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other women. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So there's a man named Xerxes. Uh, he's the king of Persia. And he has deposed his wife, Vashti. And he's looking for a new wife. And he has this year-long beauty treatment, beauty pageant kind of thing happen. And a beautiful Jewish girl named Esther was one of the young women. And as I read this book, I don't find an indication that Esther was tr trying to discover God's will. You don't read a lot of intentionality from Esther that she's seeking after God, that she's looking. It doesn't seem to me that Esther was worried about discovering God's will at all for her life. And as I read the story, it seems just to be the course of things that have happened and that are happening. And that brings us to this 17th verse. And it plainly says that the king was attracted to Esther, so he set a royal crown on her head. She is now the queen. What does all this mean? What does it mean? Well, number one, Esther discovers her place in life the same way we discover our place in life. And I've already kind of said it. She was struggling uh, to find out, she, she, it doesn't seem like she was trying to find out what God was wanting to do in her life. There's no miracle. There, there is no supernatural sign. In fact, there's an unusual working on the outside of all of this. There is apparently no time when Esther goes back and reads the Bible. It's just in the course of things. That leads me to the second thing. And that is, as you read the text in Esther, she doesn't stand out to be uniquely a godly person. In fact, the book of Esther, there is no mention of, of, of 
Esther's godly character at all in this. And, and by the way, one of the most unusual facts about the book of Esther is that there is, it's the only book in the Bible in which the name of God, God's name, is not even mentioned. It doesn't appear there at all. There is no prayer in the book of Esther except for some mention of please fast. There is no uh, mention of the covenant. There's no mention of the law. There's no mention of the temple. There's no mention of sacrifices. All the religious elements are out of this book. It's just sort of the ordinary course of life. And that leads me to this third thing, and that is, Being in a beauty pageant might seem like an unusual step to discover God's will or how he's positioned you in life. Some would regard it rather as very worldly, like, holy cow, how did that make it in the Bible? Xerxes was definitely a man of the world. Yet there's something interesting about it. And I also find it in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I'm reminded of Paul writing to the church of Corinth in chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Would you like to discover God's will for your life? Well, part of what it is is to live in life is that God's will in your life is most likely revealed in the outworking of ordinary affairs of life so many times. So be faithful to the work of God that he's given you today because through that faithfulness to God today, he will reveal for you what you're going to do and position you just right for tomorrow. Here's the second principle that we learned from Esther. And that is God often reveals his will by putting us in an uncomfortable position. This is very common in both the training and how God uses folks in the Bible. Five years passed. Now listen, Esther can get anything she wants. If she wants 50 handmaids to come and wash her feet, whatever she wants, she gets. She is, she's the queen She can have anything she wants, but she had no idea that three years in, there was going to be a drama that unfolded and also in year five. Haman's plot. There's a man named Haman and he, he, his plot was an unrevealed mystery. What was going to take place was a mystery to the queen, to Esther's life. It was hidden from her. She had no idea the fate of her people were going to lie in her hand. Had no idea because everything was just going great. There was this wicked man named Haman. And he was jealous because a Jewish man named Mordecai would not kneel down before him. And so there's only one catch about Haman's problem with Mordecai. And that is this. Mordecai was Esther's cousin and had raised her himself. And so Mordecai put on sackcloth and ashes and he began to mourn in the city streets. And when Esther heard about this, she sent a messenger to them. And that leads me to this complication about Xerxes. Xerxes loved Esther. 
And so the only thing about Xerxes is he didn't know she was Jewish. And so Mordecai, we read in chapter 4, verse 11, Mordecai says, Esther, you, you have got to go in and speak to your people, Xerxes. You've got to speak up on behalf of your people to the people that you now are attached to. And this is her reply. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court, being summoned the king has but one law and that he shall be put to death. It's not easy. And she says back to Mordecai, do you realize what you're asking of me? If I go in and if I go in and he doesn't raise his scepter, I will be in trouble. And so we see that it's, she is now this great thing that happened all at once. She's in a very precarious situation. So many times, even in our lives, we find that true too. We have, we experience that. God, so many times, will reveal himself by putting us in these uncomfortable situations. Uh, a wife told of her husband uh, praying, and she overheard her husband praying this prayer. Dear God, so far today, I, I've... I'm doing all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, needy, or grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of this bed. And when I do, I'm going to need your help. Amen. You know, isn't this the way it is in life? We want to do the right things. But when it gets uncomfortable, it, life becomes difficult. But so many times, God reveals himself by putting us in uncomfortable situations. And so what Esther is doing is counting the cost because it's not easy. She's counting the cost. She's in an uncomfortable situation. And she writes, but says to Mordecai, do you realize I could die if I walk in that room? And so the words of Jesus remind me of how wise Esther is to count the cost. Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish it. Count the cost before you go see the king. Why? Because doing the will of God is not always easy. If it, it will eventually become difficult. And so when God is going to show you his will, he very often does it by putting you in an uncomfortable position. Which leads me to the third principle. And that is God arranges circumstances of life so that when the right moment comes, we will be able to, to be in exactly the right place to do his will. So Esther sends the message back. Mordecai, you don't know what you're asking. You, you, you want me to go see the king, but if he doesn't lower the scepter, I will be dead before a word comes out of my mouth. So I, I've got to count the cost. That's where she is. 
But here's what happens. This is the most popular part of Esther, the most popular uh, verse in all of uh, Esther, chapter four, verses 13 and 14. Do not think, this is Mordecai speaking to Esther, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. I mean, there's an appeal. And Esther is in this precarious situation. And the first appeal that Mordecai says is this nationality. Esther, you may be the queen, but don't get it twisted. They're coming after you too because you're Jewish and your family will perish as well. So the first appeal Mordecai says is because of your nationality. And then the second appeal is based on the hidden providence of God. Did you notice those words when he said, Esther, if you don't help us, relief and deliverance will come from another place. Esther, if you don't do it, don't worry. Our deliverance will come as the people of God from someplace else. And then the third appeal is on her sense of destiny. And this is that popular little phrase that we've used, maybe you've heard said before, and that is this. Esther, who knows? But that you have come to this high office. Who knows, Esther? Maybe this was what it was all about. That you have risen to be the queen for such a time as this. It's your destiny. And that is what God does. Listen, that's what he does. He arranges the minutest of all the details. These circumstances all come together in life. Sometimes he takes, listen, sometimes he takes months and years and we as especially Americans do not have the patience to see a lot of these things unfold for all these circumstances to come together for such a time as this. And the older I get, the more Calvinistic I become in God's sovereignty. That's why that, by the way, that's what that means is just when I say that, it simply means that I believe in the sovereignty of God. That's what I mean when I say that. I don't believe in chance and luck and all that stuff. I believe that nothing happens by chance to the children of God. Romans 8.28 is still true, folks. All things, the big things, the small things, all things work together for good for those who love God. And that does two things for me. The first thing is it gives me courage. And the second thing is this. It gives me confidence. It gives me the confidence that God's in control. I heard a man, an old pastor say many years ago, God's will done in God's way will not lack God's support. I'll say that again. God's will done in God's way will not lack God's support. Here's principle number four. God brings us again and again to face one basic question, and that is this. Am I willing to do God's will without regard to the consequences? So I've taken you through these 
you know, ordinary life and it, sometimes we're uncomfortable and you have to count the cost. And, and then even looking back here, looking at how he arranges sovereignly all these circumstances, it still comes down to that question. That question is, am I willing to do God's will without regard to the consequences? It's the climax of the story. And Mordecai has made his appeal and Esther answers with these stirring words. And she says this, and we are in uh, chapter four and these, this is verse 16 in chapter four. Go gather together. This is Esther speaking back to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. If the king doesn't lower his scepter, I'm going to die. And she said those words and she didn't know what was going to happen when she said that. She didn't know how the outcome was going to be. She didn't know what the king would do. And this touches on a few issues. The first one is we see faith acting in spite of doubt, in the presence of fear, in the presence of real danger. We, some, we see somebody who's acting on faith. Was she sure? No. She wasn't sure. There were no guarantees, none whatsoever. The king Xerxes could have woken up in a bad mood that day. Here's the, another thing. We see God, that God's will is revealed to those who choose to do it. Who just choose to go do it. I'm going to do God's will. I'm going to choose in my life to do what I know is the right thing to do. And Mordecai had told her and appealed to her and knew that it was hard. And then it was like, hey man, all these things came together. You're at right the right place. It's for such a time as this. Are you willing to do it? And we see that God's will is revealed to those who will choose to do it. So many times we say, Oh, Lord, if you show me the big picture, if you give me the vision of how this is all going to turn out, if Lord, if you'll let me see the end of the book, then maybe I'll be willing to do it. No, you be willing first and then I will show you what you need to know, Esther. She's willing to do it. Elizabeth Elliot said it this way. If you are thinking you know God's will, and you are eager to do it, you are probably in for a rude awakening. Nobody knows the will of God for his entire life before it happens. That's just the way it is. God reveals himself one step at a time. Listen, for those who are willing to choose it. And that's where that central question is. Are you willing to do the will of God? He reveals himself one step at a time to people who are willing to do it. I want to end with an old poem. And this poem, the title of it is, He Maketh No Mistake. And I share it with you uh, that you might feel trapped in the fog of life. And I want it just to be a reminder to you. 
My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad I know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hope may fade away. But still I'll trust my Lord to lead. For he doth know the way. Though night be dark and it may seem that day will never break. I pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. There is so much now I cannot see. My eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. But by and by the mist will lift and plain it all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he maketh no mistake. God works quietly through cause and effect to achieve his purposes in history and in your life. Would you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you for your word that is timeless. Lord, we thank you uh, for what we find even in Esther, in this book that is completely lost kind of in the middle of a secular world. Lord, we find ourselves in a secular world where it's difficult sometimes to see what's, how the kingdom of God is spreading. Lord, open our eyes to what you're doing. Help us to follow you in the ordinary. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, help us to be a people that even when we're put in tough circumstances, that we will realize that your sovereignty is at work and you put us just at the right place. Lord, help us to be a people that choose to do your will. Help us to do your will, Lord, because it sometimes is hard to discern. But Lord, help us to be a people that follow you. And Lord, then in your sovereignty, you'll work everything together for good. So Lord, we're praying for that in these dark times where people need hope. Help us, Lord, to be a part of what you're doing. And Lord, we know that we need you desperately to do this. So do it, Lord. Help us, whether we're students or parents or grandparents, Lord, help us to follow you in the everyday life, even this week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, next week is May the 31st, and we're looking forward to next week where we are, again, having in-person gatherings here for our worship services. So you'll have a couple of options. Uh, One of them will be coming here to the building to join us for our worship service. We'll have to do social distancing. We need to know when folks are coming. So you'll receive an email on Tuesday telling you, giving you the instructions on how to do that. Also, if you want to check out updates, you can go to the front page of our website. There's a blue banner across the bottom. You can click on that. Also, next week, if you're 
If you are staying away, maybe it is that you're above 65 and the health officials say it's not wise to go out, or maybe you're not comfortable yet, we still are going to be streaming our service. It's going to be live next week at 9 a.m., and then it'll be available the rest of the day, just like it has been. I am praying for you. I hope so much that the Lord will bless you and keep you. God bless you. Have a great week.